Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we embark on this particular gospel reading that you have before you, which might sound a little odd as you read it, like, what's Jesus doing here and what's going on here? Because there's some things in this gospel reading that you might not be expecting as you read it, particularly if you came to it for the first time. But there's something important to understand as this gospel unfolds and as we come to an understanding of it, particularly if you're not familiar with it, And that is that Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew, was a Jew writing specifically for a Jewish audience. So there are some idioms in this particular reading that might not be clear to those of us that are American, particularly when we have words that, you know, might vary for different contexts and the words that are translated here might not be exactly what they were intended to be. So it's important to, when you read a passage like this that sounds a little different or sounds a little strange or Jesus doesn't sound like the Jesus that I think he should sound like, that it's good to do just a little digging as we unpack this passage. And the first thing that's an idiom is Jesus and his apostles went away to Tyre and Sidon. Now to most of you, that might not mean a whole lot. Basically what that would say to a Jew is, they're going to the coast for a vacation. Okay? That's what it's saying. They're going to travel 30 to 50 miles, depending upon where they were at the time, and they're going to Tyre and Sidon on the coast, the Mediterranean Sea. And so they're going on a vacation just to get there, because most of the people during that time would walk when they traveled, would take days. And so they're going away for an extended period. Sometimes when we read the Gospels, we forget that a lot of time elapses sometimes in between the stories. Because you're talking about three years of Jesus' life. And you could probably read all the gospel readings in a matter of a few hours. So there's a lot of time that we don't always think about. So they took days to walk to the coast, and then they probably spent some good time in vacation. I'm particularly conscious of this now because I'm getting ready to leave on vacation. So it's really on my mind. So the, the gospel reading was perfect for today. But it's interesting because Jesus, if you read the Gospels, not only did he take vacations, he took breaks. Sometimes you'll read that he went away to a lonely place. Or he went off to pray. Because his apostles were sometimes looking for him. And the thing about Jesus is, even though he went off, even though he went on vacation, even though he got alone, it was always with the Father. He was always conscious of the Father being present. He was always mindful of the Father and the Father's will. So when he went away, he didn't go away like we oftentimes go away. You know how we go away sometimes? Yeah, I can go away and do whatever I want. I'm on vacation. And that's not exactly what's going on here. Because Jesus was always conscious... I'm living for the kingdom. I'm living in the kingdom. I'm walking with my Father. And see, what you come to understand when you live this way, 
Zenification is really about peace and about rest. It's not just about hurrying and partying. It's that peace that we all seek and the joy that we all seek. It doesn't mean that Jesus went and didn't do fun things. In fact, I think as this passage unfolds, you're going to see Jesus having a sense of humor. And so Jesus went away because he needed a break. Think about Jesus' life, okay, just for a minute. Jesus walked everywhere with 12 apostles. And they weren't always easy people, right? They could be challenges. So he's always walking around with these 12 apostles. Then there's the disciples, and then there's the crowds. And oftentimes in the crowds, there's what? There's Jews, and not only Jews, there are Pharisees and Sadducees who are hostile towards him. Jesus dealt with a lot of hostility. You get tired, right? Think about it. You're around people all the time. You're around crowds a lot. You're teaching, you're preaching, you're healing. And you deal with hostility and conflict all the time. Jesus is ready for a break. So he says, let's go to the coast. Let's go take a break. So that's what he's doing here. And of course, you know, when you try to get away, Southwest Airline, you want to get away? When you try to get away, you don't always get away. As soon as they arrive, what does it say? This local comes up and bothers them. That's really how the apostles are taking it, if you understand the passage. It would be like one of us locals seeing a tourist and saying, hey, can we get you to do some work for us? How would that fly? But that's what's going on. They're on vacation. This local woman, as it says, this Syrophoenician woman, comes up and she cries out, I need help. My daughter's tormented. And I need you to bring healing. Now, how would she know that? Did you ever pause to think about that? She's not Jewish, for starters. The Bible calls her a Syrophoenician woman, which means she's a Gentile, which means she's probably a Canaanite. And if you know the history of Israel, Canaanites and Jews hated each other almost as much as Jews hated Samaritans. So they really didn't interact with each other unless they had to, probably for business. Secondly, how would she know about Jesus and his ministry? Well, see, the thing is, he travels with a group of apostles. So the first thing you're going to be conscious of is this guy must be some kind of rabbi or teacher and has his entourage around him. And then you might start asking questions, well, who is this guy? And, that, and someone might have asked one of the apostles, you need to think through how this might have happened. And once she hears about this Jesus, and that he's a teacher and he's a preacher, and he's done healing and miracles, or at least that's the rumor out there, and some people even say he's the Messiah, she cries out. Here's hope. Makes no sense. But it's amazing what happens when you're desperate. Because this woman would ne never seek a Jewish person to help, given her background. But when you're desperate, when it's someone that you love, and someone that you want to take care of and get out of pain, when it's a family member or a friend, 
You do almost anything. And that's that's what this woman was doing. She was saying, here's hope when I was running out of hope. See, it's almost like Jesus interacting with this Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. Social mores would say that shouldn't happen. In fact, when Jesus says to her, can you give me a drink? Her first response to it was, Jews don't talk to Samaritans, especially a woman. That just doesn't happen. And Jesus defies social mores. It's important to realize that's part of the backdrop here. Also, this title, Son of David, what does that mean? What would it mean to the people back then? What would it mean to a Jewish writer? What it means is, that's insider language, by the way, for Messiah. It's the same cry that Bartimaeus does in Mark chapter 10. Bartimaeus is blind. Jesus is walking along, not only with his apostles, but with a crowd. He hears about this Jesus, and he yells out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds to him. Jesus, interacting later on with the Pharisees and Sadducees, Matthew 22, starts talking to them. And he says, let me ask you a question. David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, this son of David. And that's an indication of the Messiah. So once again, Jews reading this and people participating in this story would understand he is talking about the Messiah. So when this woman cries out, she's saying something significant. This could be the Jewish Messiah that even she heard about. She's not asking questions what that means. But she knows she can get help from this guy. So how does Jesus respond? What does he do? Look at the passage. What does he do? He says nothing. He says nothing. Doesn't that strike you? Is he unfeeling? Is he uncaring? Is he not going to do anything? See, I think what he's doing right now, when he doesn't respond, he's letting it sink in what's going on here, particularly for his apostles, but even also for the woman. Maybe for the woman to check herself. You know, am I doing this because of flattering flattering Jesus? Or am I doing this because I believe he might be this person? That the Lord is beginning to touch her heart to open her eyes to who this is. And the apostles are thinking, man, I hope he sends her away. If he doesn't, we're going to. We're on vacation. But there's just this... Moment of silence, very poignant, where Jesus doesn't say anything. But the apostles begin to reveal themselves. You know what's interesting in a situation like this? What's going to happen is what's in your heart of hearts is going to come out. In fact, it always does. Whatever is in your heart of hearts will ultimately come out. At some point, at some time, in some way. You know what is in Jesus' heart of hearts? Compassion. Compassion. It's why he came. Compassion, to draw alongside of, to feel with. It's why he came in the first place. We're told he was moved with compassion, which is why he 
cares for people. Jesus' heart was full of compassion. And that's why even though at this point it doesn't sound very compassionate, it's because the story is still unfolding. And something tremendous is about to happen. That's what's going on. Okay, the first phrase that I want to focus on here is this phrase, have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. So this woman, desperate, reaches out to Jesus. She calls him by this messianic title. It's in a situation that makes no sense and the apostles are saying, send her away. And yet she cries out, have mercy on me. Powerful moment. Quiet moment. Just for a second. And we're not sure. Imagine this is the first time that you're reading this. We're not sure how Jesus is going to react. You know what's interesting is, see, as I said before, because she was a Canaanite woman and the Jews didn't have any dealings with them, you would think that Jesus wouldn't respond. That's why the silence. That's what the apostles are anticipating. But they already had a precedent. If you go a few chapters before, in Matthew chapter 8, what you run into is this centurion, a Roman soldier. Again, the Jews didn't like the Roman soldiers either. Why? Because they were oppressing them. They wanted them out of their country. And typically, soldiers were knowing, known for being brutal and violent and mean to the Jews. But what did Jesus do? The centurion came to Jesus and said, I've got this servant. He's a beloved servant. I need you to heal him. And Jesus said, I'll come. And the centurion says, no, you don't have to come. Just say the word. And what does Jesus say to the centurion, a Roman soldier? Once again, a non-Jew. He says, I've not found such great, great faith in all of Israel. In other words, Jesus is looking for faith. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people who are going to believe in him, who are open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter whether they are Jews or Gentiles. That's why Jesus would reach out to this centurion, this soldier, and would heal his servant. And that the verdict at this point is still out on this woman. But you need to remember Jesus' heart. And what the Holy Spirit is doing in this woman already opening her eyes and her heart to Jesus being this Messiah. That's what's going on. So, you know, in the moment, Jesus says, which would be the typical Jewish response and the Jewish mindset, because he's trying to read and teach the apostles. He said, well, you know, the reason I'm really here on earth is because I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. I'm here for the lost sheep. Now, common theme, common theme in the scriptures, right? Sheep, shepherd, think about it just for a second. As early as the prophets, Jeremiah, chapter, chapter 50, we hear this whole idea of lost sheep. We hear of lost sheep in Matthew's gospel, earlier in the gospel, chapter 10. And then think about Luke 15, the famous lost sheep passage leading up to the prodigal son who epitomizes the lost sheep. So what is Jesus saying? Israel is 
They've gone away from the Lord. I'm here to call them back. They misunderstand why God is here. I'm calling them back. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. But does that mean he's opposed to the Gentiles? Psalm 67 talks about, well, let me read parts of Psalm 67 to you so that you begin to get the mindset. That your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then you get to the passages in Isaiah, the messianic passages. Isaiah 42 that refers to the servant being for all people. And then Isaiah 49 and 52, the suffering servant who comes for all people. That God's revelation begins with the Jews, but the messianic purpose, his coming, his dying, is for all people to reach out to the nations. The the passage from Isaiah that we had read earlier, if you look at the passage from Isaiah earlier, prayer, the house of prayer for all peoples. This is on the heels of the messianic passages in Isaiah. Jump to the New Testament. Early on, when Jesus is born, Simeon, the prophet, at the temple, Jesus is eight days old. Simeon says, when he sees the Christ child, Lord, you can now set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. Well, these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see. A light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. So what Jesus is saying when he says, I've come for the lost sheep, he's saying in parenthesis, first. I came to the people because I was born among them. I began as a Jew. Revelation of God and his word comes from the Jews, but it's for anyone who is open to me. It is for anyone who comes to me in faith. So when Jesus says the lost sheep, he's basically saying first. But then you get this confusing line about bread for the children and crumbs for the dogs. You might cringe a little and say, yeah, you sure about that? That sounds a little hard. You know, when you read passages like this in Scripture, let's talk about what you don't hear and you don't see. You don't see facial expressions. You don't hear voice inflection. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When Jesus is talking to this woman, he could say, you know, something like, get those dogs out of here, or, oh, those puppies, you might want to move them. Does that sound different? A little bit of inflection? Dogs, puppies? See, that's the problem. You don't know what's going on. And several commentators suggest that this idiom of the word dogs can mean puppies. See, we don't always know what's going on. And Jesus, you know, Jesus may have already made a connection with this woman. He knows her heart. He knows faith is growing. And so he's kind of looking at her like, we need to teach these boneheads over here, my apostles. Right? Did you ever do that? 
where you made a connection with someone and you're kind of like, we're going to get these, you know, over here. I do that. Not only that, he may have a twinkle in his eye. You know what I mean by a twinkle? Anybody who loves to tease, I love to tease. I love to kid around. Just ask Jordan smiling over here. He's on the staff. I love to kid around and I love to tease. But see, I like to believe that it's with a twinkle in my eye, that it's not malicious. And most of the time it's not. (laughs) See, and I think that Jesus made this connection with this woman. And he had a twinkle in his eye. He already knew her heart. And so when he says this line, he's trying to teach the apostles. You want to see faith? Watch this woman's faith. Just watch. The bread's for the children of Israel. Yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Even the puppies get the crumbs. And I guarantee you, Jesus smiled. And he said, great is your faith. Just like he said to the centurion, I've not found such faith in all of Israel. Great is your faith. He knew her heart. He knew how she was going to respond. And he was trying to teach the apostles, you need to understand, I've come as a Jew because the Messiah comes from the Jews. I've come to bring the word of God because the word of God has come through the Jews in Revelation. But this revelation, this light of revelation, is for all people. And that's why we're here. And we're not selective about compassion. And compassion doesn't go on a vacation. That's what he's saying. We don't send her away. We don't exclude her. The Christian faith is not exclusive. We exclude ourselves when we don't choose him. The invitation is for anyone, Jew or Gentile, male or female. It's for anyone. The exclusion comes when we choose not to walk by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus sought to reach this woman's heart and to teach the apostles about the kingdom of God. And so he brought healing. You know, it's interesting. Jesus never looked for an out. Do you know what I mean by that? Jesus never looked for an out. Because he was always seeking to do the Father's will. He was always seeking to worship and to serve and to teach and to preach and to bring healing. He was never looking for an out. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's praying, Lord, take this cup away. Not my will. Your will be done. Your will. Even though I don't feel necessarily that this would be a lot of fun to go through, 
your will. You sure somebody else can't do this? Your will. I wonder sometimes, are we looking for an out? An excuse? To not walk by faith? To not be people of compassion? To not be people who reveal Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? To anyone? See, that's the message here. That Jesus was trying to teach the apostles. Are we looking for an out? Maybe because of social mores. See, the culture at the time told Jews and Canaanites not to interact. So we have an excuse. Or maybe it's just our own selfishness, our self-centeredness. We want what we want. Our entitlement. Hey, I'm on vacation. Hey, I shouldn't have to do that. God should call somebody else to do that, not me. Or we step outside of his will when we know his commandments. Because after all, it's me, Lord. I should get what I want. I should have my way. And Jesus is looking for faith. Do we? Do we seek him with the whole of our being? Do we really seek to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? To live in his kingdom continually? Do we seek to bring that light to the nations as Jesus is the light to the nations? Do we seek to serve him and worship him always with the whole of our being? And that we're always available for his will to do whatever he calls us to. Are we people of compassion? I invite you, consider this passage. And it's probably not what you originally thought you would read it to be. Are you one of the apostles? Or are you this woman of great faith? Because he has a word for you. I came for the lost sheep. And I want you part of my fold. And I want to give you the bread from my table. Even if you think it's crumbs, I will give you bread from my table to feed on me, and to share in eternal life. A glimpse of the heavenly banquet. That's what I want you to have right now. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, so often we live for ourselves. That we think of peace and quiet and rest as a part from serving you, of being in your presence. And yet, Lord, the only place that we find real peace and real joy and the fullness of love 
is in your will and, and in your presence. Lord, help us to not be deterred by our own selfishness, by social mores, by any temptation that would draw us from you, that would cause us to not be your people, your sheep, and to walk with your compassion as you walked. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we would know the good shepherd and hear the good shepherd's voice that those who are lost would be found and that those who are struggling would rest in you and that those who are hurting would find the healing. But the, we would all seek to be your people and live for your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.